Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hey everyone, it's Mickey here. You're listening to Wikipedia, and this week on the podcast, I speak to physiotherapist, coach, and plant-based advocate Brad Dixon about his philosophy on wellness. Brad and I discuss his background in triathlon, uh, his career in physiotherapy, and how his family history with his father and uncle forced Brad to think beyond the medical model when it comes to health, and how his thinking has evolved over the last 10 years to where he now coaches and practices with a broader understanding of health beyond that which he studied in physiotherapy and the mainstream model. We discuss functional strength training, navigating being a parent and a role model, Brad's philosophies on nutrition and how he's evolved his thinking in that space, and how small habits can make big differences. And if you follow Brad, you know that this is something he advocates all of the time. He's very active on social media. This is such a wide-reaching conversation, and there is something for everyone here, and I think you're really going to love it. Brad Dixon is a sports physiotherapist, coach, writer, and wellness advocate based at Everfit Physio and Coaching. His passion is helping people strive for their potential with promotion of enhancing daily habits. Brad's interest in a whole food plant-based lifestyle started when his uncle was diagnosed with bowel cancer and started emailing and blogging about lifestyle links to disease. This started his transition in 2014 to move along to a spectrum to a plant-based lifestyle firstly for performance and health and then looking more widely at environment. I have to say Brad is a gunner of an athlete too and we discuss his performance here like it's so motivating to see. So Brad has also written a book and he is a prolific writer for the Trail Runner magazine as well. And he said that he wanted to put his 100 wellness articles in one place. So his book, Holistic Human, is that place where you can find all of Brad's tips and tidbits for living a healthier life based on these small daily habits. You can connect with Brad over at www.everfit.co.nz and he's on Strava, Instagram and Facebook at everfitcoach, one word. And I've also popped a link to Brad's book, Holistic Human, in the show notes too. So you can delve more deeply into some of the concepts that Brad discusses today on the show. Before we crack on into the conversation though, just a reminder, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast listening platform. That increases the visibility of the podcast out there and amongst literally thousands of other podcasts. So more people get the opportunity to learn from the guests that I have on the show. All right, guys, please enjoy the conversation that I have with Brad Dixon. desk up because I'm like oh, I'm speaking to Brad Dixon so I better I better be standing when I do it yeah yeah that's actually that's really nice to hear and I should be standing as well except I just don't have the setup at home quite yet so I, I have to sit down when I'm at home doing these do you know it's funny it, people are like that with me as well around with their food and stuff they're sort of they might they don't necessarily change their behavior but they comment on their behavior 
just think they're almost preempting what they think I'm going to be thinking about it, which is actually exactly what I just did. Yeah, and it's good. It's nice to know that you have having a positive effect on people's behaviours and that people are yeah. thinking about it. So it's, it's actually, you know, take that as a compliment and you should take it as a compliment as well. No, this is good, Brad. I'm pleased that you think that. Now, um, we've kicked off. I'm recording. I will, of course, do a very good introduction to for anyone who doesn't know Brad Dixon. Um, uh, but this is, I was thinking about you this morning because I was swimming and then saunering and you're a big fan of that temperature um, and health and that relationship. But I haven't seen you in my Instagram feed, Brad, doing your Wednesday morning swims. Yeah, look, unfortunately, my, my photographer, Ange Wallace, has moved to Raglan. So I'm still doing Wednesday, my no wetsuit Wednesdays, but there's no photographic evidence of it. But it is on Strava. Uh, so you will see me swimming around Leisure Island with a group of people on Strava. But there's no photographs anymore, unfortunately, until I can sort out another camera person. Oh, they were great photos, actually. Yeah, yeah, Ange is great. Yeah. Ange is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, well, that's although I'm happy to hear that you're still enjoying it. Like I um, uh, I haven't been doing as much cold water therapy for the last uh, up until about five months ago because of when I broke my leg, it just wasn't in my routine. Um, but I've been making a conscious effort to get back in. You just feel so much better. Oh, absolutely. I think cold is one of the most underrated health tools there is. When you come out of cold water, um, you have this this focus and relaxation feeling that sort of combines, it dovetails, and you don't really get that unless, um, meditation I think you can get it as well, um, but it's just such a great feeling, it really is, and, and I try to promote cold as, as you know part of people's health regime, for sure. So when you're talking to patients then, is this part of what you ask them to do or you suggest to them? Do you go that holistic? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, people come and see a physio for a variety of reasons, but I, I like to go, I like to talk about their lives and what's happening. And a lot of the time, like for instance, I can give you an example. I had one patient a few months ago came in for a shoulder injury. Um, I noticed his skin was really bad. He had really bad eczema. It was like peeling off him to the point where I couldn't actually do any soft tissue work on his back. Um, I just said to him, oh, look, you know, can you tell me a little bit of story about your skin? And he'd been seeing specialists for 12 years. He was on prednisone and antibiotics and another quite nasty drug that was giving him some quite bad side effects. He was having a lot of trouble sleeping. I just said, hey, have you, have you heard of cold showers? He said, no, no, no one's ever mentioned that to me. So he went away for two weeks at a cold shower every day, came back, and his skin was 50% better. And he said, look, this is the best my skin's been for five years. I'm off the prednisone, um, I'm sleeping better, uh, why has no one told me about cold showers before? And, and this is the problem with our health system, it's so reductionist, we have these skin specialists prescribing pharmaceuticals and not even mentioning some basic lifestyle changes that could help. And look, this same gentleman went away after that, took up ice baths because he was really into it, and he came back and his skin was basically cured. Uh, so in six weeks, his eczema had almost completely cleared up. And he said that that was the best it's been for 15 years. And he was off all his medications. That's amazing. And how much do you see, Brad, of like one particular um, change, almost like an anchor behavior? How much does that then change other behavior? And maybe this also is also aligned with the example you just gave me or another example. Like, do you see this a bit with the people you work with? Yeah, absolutely. If people are motivated and people are curious, 
you know, and they're not closed off, then absolutely they'll, they'll sort of go in hard in one direction, whether that be yoga or strength or sleep or um, their diet. And then that opens up the pathway to, to other behaviors. And it just it becomes this lovely forward momentum cycle. And it's really fun to see. And sometimes you'll see that where the client will come in and you just mention one thing almost offhand and they come back and they've completely changed. And it's just from that one little thing you said. Other people, you'll spend years working on stuff and it's just the progress is really slow. So everyone's on a different stage of their journey and you just have to respect that and just do the best you can to, to prompt and promote that change. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because on the flip side, which is what I was sort of thinking about with myself over the last month or so, was the things that I was doing that were attached to my running, which I hadn't realized that I was no longer, I hadn't even really thought about them. And then it sort of dawned on me that I was feeling a bit down and I wasn't running. I'm like, well, it's because I'm not running, which actually does make a lot of sense in my head. However, as well as I wasn't swimming, I wasn't doing cold water therapy, I wasn't in the sauna. And when I had that realization, I wasn't doing any HIT either. And I think HIT based training is just so good for getting you, just elevating your mood and making you just, I don't know, making me feel awesome anyway. So when I'd worked that out, um, even though I had, was still like, I'm running now, but it took another sort of four to six weeks to come right, um, I was at least able to feel a bit better because there's other behaviors were in place whereas I see other people and they say what happened was because I wasn't doing this one thing everything else just sort of slid away without me even realizing it yeah absolutely that happens so much and it's happened to me before as well but it also can go the other way um because eight years ago when I had my knee injury that stopped me running for a year um and at the same time my uncle was very sick um with bowel with bowel cancer this is what changed me because I was complaining about my knee and not being able to run and I was moping and sulking and my, and my lovely wife just basically told me to pull my head in. Um, you know, my uncle was going through, he was, he was on, you know, he was dying and here I was complaining about not being able to run and she was, and you know, she was right and, and I, I can remember just changing in an instant and thinking, you know what, she's right, how dare I not be grateful for the fact I can still cycle, I can still swim. Um, I can work on my diet. So I threw myself into cycling and swimming and cleaned up my diet. And you know what? I came back a better runner. Like after that year, I came back and was faster, stronger, leaner than I've ever been. And so sometimes it just takes um, a moment of pain to actually create a shift, a seismic shift in the way that you do things. Yeah, because Brad, you're, um, if we sort of take a few steps or decades back, you've been an athlete from a quite a young age, as I understand it. Am I right? Like, I can't remember where I re read this, but I remember hearing that you trained with John Hallimans in his triathlon academy in Christchurch. And I'm a big fan of the whole Hallimans family. <laughs> like, I worked with Anne at um, Otago very briefly, and then just I've just really respected her um, as a as a nutritionist. But of course, John Hallimans has been like iconic in endurance space. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, look, absolutely. John Hellman's, I looked up to, I still look up to him. Uh, he is a guru and I was wanting to join the, the Triathlon Academy down in Christchurch for a long time and I can remember going to see him and he just basically said, you've, you've got to get a little bit better. 
And so I went and trained a bit more when I was about 15, I think. 15, I was able to join that, that group of triathletes. And look, we were, I was training with people like Craig Watson and Ben Bright and Jenny Rose and Sarah Harrow and Brian Rhodes and John Newsom. And um, look, there was just this whole culture of amazing athletes. And John was, he was a tough coach. Um, but there was also this camaraderie and this fun in that, in that group of athletes. And, and it was, I just loved it. I loved going to the, the sand dune running at New Brighton Beach. Um, beach. I loved going to the QE2 Stadium and doing the track work. And it really, it really helped me figure out what's needed in a successful uh, training regime. And that is hard work, hard graft, but fun. And when you combine that, when you combine those two things, that's when the magic happens. It really does. Yeah, and did that inform you, Brad, as to your professional career? Sort of, were you always interested in physiotherapy, or did that come later? I mean, obviously, it came later, but did part of that experience help that? Yeah, like I think it did a little bit. Look, I wanted to be a fighter pilot, so I went through. Uh, I, I went through uh, the, the, all the testing, I went to Purcell, I went to the camp, um, I went through all the stuff and then right at the end, this was in my sixth form year, I sat down in front of the board of, of the Air Force um, and they basically looked at me and said, you know what Brad, you've, you've come through all the tests really well, you've come through a Purcell really well, but you know what, you'll never be a fighter pilot in this Air Force or any Air Force in, anywhere in the world, um, you failed the monkey box test, that's basically a it's a coordination test. Um, oh. I failed it so badly. I was off the spectrum. They said that they'll never, they'll never accept me. Don't bother coming back. Um, and it was really hard at that time. That was a real. That I wanted to be, I wanted to be, a, I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And so that absolutely, I was gutted because people in that same group actually came back and became pilots. Others went to uh, Australia and were flying um, the Hornets, um, the fighter planes there. But I was one of six that just didn't even wasn't even asked to come back so so Brad can I ask with the monkey box um <laughs> test I don't know if you can recall and I'm sorry if I'm bringing up um uh sort yes, of bad yeah. memories but painful memories, looking, yeah, painful. yeah look at looking back could you have actually passed it do you think like had you practiced like I haven't I don't I would not know what was involved like yeah, look, how is look, it not trainable yeah I think it is trainable and and look so the monkey box test was basically sitting in a box you had a dot and there was a box around it and you had to keep the dot in the middle of the box with some foot pedals and, right. and, um, and you know, a, a steering wheel. But you also, there was a light, I can't exactly remember, it was a green light or a red light. And whenever the green light came on, you had to take your hand off and you had to push this lever forward. And if the red light came on, you had to come, take your hand off and push it back while you're trying to keep the dot in the box. Wow, yeah. So, yeah, look, I failed that miserably. And if I'd played more video games and if I had, yes. done, maybe I would have passed it, but I just failed <laughs> it so badly that they thought that I was a lost hope. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't imagine how devastating that would have been given everything you sort of gave it your all over that year to be told that that was never going to happen. So Yeah, yeah but look, it worked out, it's worked out for the best because, look, I would have been a useless fighter pilot. Um, <laughs> I, I, my direction sense is horrific. Uh, <laughs> so, look, I would have been horrific. The funny thing is my wife, she went through the same thing and she was accepted. So she was accepted oh, to be wow. a pilot, but she turned it down because of her eyesight and she went on to be a doctor um we, we 
went through the same sort of process, which was really interesting. But yeah, so, not together. Yeah. Then, no, no, she, yeah, no, different, different year, a different year. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So interesting, but no. Look, I was really glad that I that I failed that miserably because an opportunity arose uh, to be able to get into physiotherapy school from my sixth form grades. Um, so from seventh form. Uh, which is year 13 for the younger listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, after the, the seventh form year, we went into, straight into physio school. Um, and, and look, it was really different to what I expected. Um, I expected it to be really sport orientated, but it, look, it just wasn't. Um, we did a lot of respiratory, we did a lot of hospital work. You know, I worked in a hospital. I was walking patients on surgical wards and orthopedic wards. Um, um, to be fair, I, look, I didn't really like it. I thought a lot of it was just not me. I just didn't feel, I felt like part of a system that was broken. I think the health system that I was working in was, was broken. Uh, I just felt like uh, there were wards with specific specialties and there were just people falling through the cracks. And that was back then. This was in the late 90s. Look, I, and I think it's worse now. Yeah, did you have a sense of this kind of holistic approach to health then? Or were you just an active kid going into this hospital setting and thinking, oh my God, like this is just horrendous? Yeah, look, I, I was an active kid. I didn't really have any understanding about holistic health at all. Okay, nothing. I just thought I had a very biomedical, biophysical medical model. Um, you know, you had pain. It was because you had soreness there. That was it. Um, look, I, I had no idea. Um, and so it was only through a little bit of my probably chronic pain training that I did um, in my fourth year at physio school, a bit of cognitive behavioral therapy type stuff that I started to realize that actually, hey, what you thought has a bearing on your experience of discomfort. And I started to understand, I had a basic idea that there was a, a mind-body connection. So, but, and, so, and then that's really evolved and then over the last eight years it's just exploded for me it's just like oh my god yeah why, why haven't I why couldn't I see this <laughs> you know I just felt like I was uh, completely blind before and if you're looking back at your sort of the cohort that you went through in physio school um obviously you all did oh I imagine you would have done the same curriculum with that um mind body that chronic pain did others have a similar trajectory in terms of their understanding of the mind body awareness yeah. or, or like is that something that's typical of a physio or not I think so like I think I, a lot of my classmates have gone in the same direction we all realize that that basic physiotherapy um is is is, is not it's just one one avenue to help people and it's just important that you really look outside the box and understand that we are holistic beings we are mind body soul spirit however you want to say it and, it, and it's all enmeshed together. You can't separate it like the Western medical system has done. And that we need to treat people as whole people. We get, need to get to know them. We need to understand their context. We need to understand their relationships, their roles in life, what they think about things. And if you do that, you can be a more effective therapist. So whether you're an osteotherapist, a physiotherapist, chiropractor, massage therapist, it's that, that holistic model, that mind-body-soul model, should be first, should be foremost in your in your mind when you're when you're treating people. 
Yeah, and I think about that in reference to nutrition and how everything's reduced down. And you talked about that sort of reductionist model at at the start of our conversation. Everything is reduced down to a nutrient or an issue or something like that, whereas nothing works in silo. It's all part of this complex system. So whenever you change something, there is something else in you know, in an area you might not even be thinking about that is going to be affected by by that change. Yeah, exactly right. And that's why I think that's why I really like like your work because we have a lot of overlapping um, agreements in terms of food and that is we, we need as a society to eat more real food. <laughs> like it's, it's like we just need to move towards eating more real food, more seasonal um, vegetables, um, more seasonal fruit. Um, and just making sure that that we are making choices that are, is going to allow us to be the best version of ourselves. And to do that, we, we have to choose food that doesn't have the nutrient content stripped away from it. And it doesn't have preservatives and chemicals added to it. We need, and, you know, and, and unfortunately, 60% of the food that we eat is, is quite highly processed, nutrient stripped away. And, and we wonder why we're having problems. We wonder why we're having gut issues, mental health issues. Uh, you know, it's just food is a, is a big part of holistic health. I remember you and I having a conversation actually back in, maybe it was 2020 when it was after the first lockdown, it was lockdown and then we got to level three and and people kept messaging me saying, um, Mickey, you've got to, why aren't you saying anything about the government giving free donuts? I can't remember what the government did or, or people were lining up to McDonald's or something and it was that, you couldn't possibly, after a month of this absolute um, uh, sort of bombshell had hit the entire world, be like, okay, guys, what are you doing at KFC? Like, that's not good for your health. Like, it's it's having that, um, uh, It's it, there's a lot of mixed messaging, I think, out there in terms of um, health priorities, maybe, that come from the, the top. Um, and... And knowing when and where when to comment and and how to comment and commenting on that stuff is yeah it's a constant sort of you feel I feel like I'm constantly navigating a, a certain space I guess yeah you're absolutely right and I think we we have I think it's important sometimes to put things out there that are uncomfortable and will rock the boat because yeah, if, yeah. You're, if you're not doing that then you're not doing your job because at the end of the day our society is broken and sick and and we have to try to promote simple, free changes to that. And, and sometimes when I put things out on social media and I get backlash, um, I now just think, well, look, you know, what I'm doing here is just, I'm just getting people thinking. Um, and if someone responds um, in, in a negative way or they attack me, I think, well, that's, you know, that's, that's good. It means that I'm stirring something up. And then I usually, I always respond, but I respond um, in, in a positive, um, caring way. Because if someone's lashing out, well, there's something there that needs to be needs to be dealt with, and and I think we you've got to be careful um, not to try and please everybody with what you're putting out or what you're saying. Because if you if you are trying to please people all the time, well, that's very tiring, and it stops you being who you are and who you are meant to be. So I think we all need to make sure that we that we you know communicate in ways that is loving and caring. Um, and to be loving and caring, sometimes you have to say hard stuff. Yeah, is that tough love? Kind of, yeah. 
Basically, yeah. Hey, Brad, when did you, so so you, I know obviously you've written a book, Holistic Human, and you talk about the health of your uncle and your father as being part of the genesis for a health transition for you. Do you want to um, fill us in on the on more of those details? Was it around the same time that you also had your knee injury as as a as an athlete? Yeah. So look, look, it all started way back when I was twelve years of age. Uh, so the origin story starts there. My grandfather, who was the fittest, kindest, most lovely man that I knew. Um, died of a massive heart attack quite suddenly. Like he had one heart attack and then he was debilitated for a few months and then had a chest pain when he was pulling weeds, went inside and died on the, on the, on the dining room table in front of my nana. And How old was he, Brad? He was in his mid to late 60s. I think he was about 67. But he was yeah. a fit 67-year-old. Like yeah. he was having running races with me, beating me. He, he was a strong, lovely man. And that really hit me hard. I can remember... Um, just being so upset and just thinking this is so unfair. And then t- 10 years after that, um, I was at physio school and I came home from physio school to visit my parents and I took my dad to the gym because I'd learned all this cool stuff about exercise. And, and my dad was really short of breath on the rowing machine. I said, Dad, you need to go get yourself sorted out with your GP. I think you've got asthma. I looked, three days later, he was having um, an emergency quadruple bypass because his arteries oh, wow. were so blocked that he would have been Within three three months, the specialist was saying he would have died of a, of a heart attack. Goodness. And that was at 58. And look, and the funny thing about that is his, his bloods were fine. His cholesterol was fine. You know, there was nothing to show that he was that blocked up, like 95% blocked up in some of the main arteries. And, and so that got me thinking as well a little, a little bit about lifestyle choices. Then my uncle, um, later after that, was diagnosed with grade 4 bowel cancer. And that's when I had my meniscus injury. And that's really what sparked it about eight years ago, where I just thought, like, I've got to dive into some lifestyle stuff because, um, one, selfishly, I don't, I, I don't want to die early. Um, I want to do everything I can to minimize that risk. And I think what I learned, and I'm sure what you understand and talk about a lot as well, is epigenetics. You know, we can dial up and dial down, turn up, turn down a genetic expression with lifestyle choices. And that's so powerful. And people need to know this. You know, it's not, I agree. It's not written in your genes. If your dad and your grandfather died of a heart attack, it doesn't mean that you have to. If, you, if your um, mother, um, if your grandmother has type 2 diabetes, it doesn't mean that you need to follow that path. It might mean you might need to work harder at some things. But you know what? Uh, lifestyle, out of the way, what we do, what we think, how we move, what we eat, that all sends messages to our genes to express in a slightly different way. And, and, and people need to understand this because it, it empowers them. You yeah. know? It, it gives them the power to make changes with, with simple daily habits. And that's what gets me really excited. Well, you must hear it um, a bit, Brad. I certainly do when I, I'm talking to uh, an individual about their health history because that is, you know, it's, a, it's certainly one of the biggest risk factors if I'm thinking about um, cardiovascular disease and, and diabetes. Just, you know, what's actually gone on in your family. But they almost say it like, a, like it's um, a, a foregone conclusion. You know, oh, my, my cholesterol's high, but... But I mean, my parents also had high cholesterol. Like, there is nothing that they can do about it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, and this might ruffle a few feathers, but sometimes people 
and I don't know if it's intentional or not, but use it as a reason or an excuse for not, you know, like, oh, there's nothing I can do about it, so I'm not even going to try. And um, that's when having the message that they can actually do something about it is really, I mean, it's important all of the time, but actually, like, for them to feel empowered rather than um, frustrated at the idea that they can't do anything about it, I think is is super important. But some people don't necessarily take the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people um, are scared and a, a lot of people just um, almost put their trust in, in doctors in the pharmaceutical industry and think, I've just got to take these pills. My doctor said I have to be on these for life. Um, and, you know, and sometimes, look, with lifestyle changes and choices, sometimes those people um, with the doctor's involvement can titrate off some of those medications, don't have to be on them for life. No, no, there's always an exception. But you know, I think people need to understand that you know, uh, cholesterol-lowering medication, blood pressure medication, a, a lot of the time people can reduce those meds and maybe even come off them with the right support and with some, some lifestyle, some simple lifestyle changes in terms of you know, movement, exercise, and, and, and diet. But I don't know if it's promoted enough because, and look, my, my wife's a GP, that the system isn't set up to for people to spend time with people. Like the GPs only have 10 or 15 minutes. They're chasing their tail. They're all burnt out. They don't have time to sit down and go through food diaries. And, you know, and, and so that's where I think they have to learn to refer to, to a nutritionist that is able to do that and, and able to speak to, to, to making those lifestyle changes. So, Brad, what were the big – so obviously you were already – somewhat active when you had a transition in your health what were the things well first where did you start to look for information to make these wholesale changes and then what were the changes you made yeah so I, the, the first thing I started doing is listening to podcasts and look um Rich I, Roll? absolutely so Rich Roll was the the first guy I listened to in 2014 and I started listening to him and he had some really cool guests on and they were really inspiring and they were saying things um that I just didn't understand and and, and 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 so just started looking into that a little bit more and then and then more podcasts so I started looking listening to um, uh, Peter Atia and um, and even you know Joe Rogan and and just different people Andrew Huberman lately as well and uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick and you just you just listen to all these people and get all this amazing information and then you start to think hey I could maybe apply that and so what, what I did in that first year when I, when I get my knee injury and, I, and I, I changed my diet, so my first in was changing my diet. So I basically changed to a plant-based um, vegan diet. So I went, I went all in. So I just cut all meat, all animal products out, just smashed back as much vegetable and fruit as possible and, and went yeah. all in. Um, was Coral in the same boat as well? Yeah, look, she was. So, so our whole family back in 2014-15 transitioned to basically um, a, a vegan diet and predominantly whole food. So, we, and that was and that was cool, you know, because as a family, if um, if you've got people in your family that, are, that aren't wanting to do that, that makes it really hard. So, I was very fortunate that that my whole family were, were really keen to go on this journey. So, back 2014-15-16. Um, we were predominantly vegan, whole food. Um, but look, now things have changed a little bit. You know, we've as as we've moved on. My my wife now um, eats a little bit of fish. Um, my girls eat eggs, and they have a little bit of dairy. They love their cheese. So look, the, things have changed. We're not. I, I couldn't say that we're a vegan family anymore. Predominantly, yeah, predominantly, but not not fully. And 
it's where I think it's nice to, to not put yourself in a box. It's about finding your own way and, and not being scared about not fitting into a label. And so for me, you know, I'm now, yeah, look, I'm 95% vegan, 5% vegetarian, um, mainly whole food. But look, I have treats now and then. I'm just not as... Um, not as sort of black and white as I used to be around my nutrition. And, and that's, I'm in a really good place with that and feel really happy that I've found something, uh, a lifestyle, a, an eating lifestyle that I can do for the rest of my life. Sometimes I feel, Brad, that people need to go to extremes to find balance. And like, because I certainly did. And, you know, you go, you go from one end of the spectrum to the other and then slowly sort of move back to some sort of middle ground where you realize that you're healthy and you're happy and you're not overly stressed about what you're doing and you know and you're able to recover properly and and things like that um so I appreciate what you're saying and I do but I wonder how much and I don't think everyone has to do it but I do think some people almost might be in a similar position that they almost have to be be extreme to find that balance because finding balance outside of sort of knowing where the, the edges are might be a little bit challenging for some people. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think sometimes people get stuck in tribes and tri- tribalism. And so they become part of this tribe. They find new friends in that tribe and they, they want to belong. And so they, they, they kind of just stick to that rhetoric. Um, and they're almost afraid, you know, to say like, you know, I mean, you know, now, now I'm, I'm quite happy to say, hey, I eat the odd egg on, you know, every now and then, you know, um, um, I have cheese as a treat on pizza every now and then, like, yeah. not all the time, yeah, yeah. but I'm not afraid yeah. to say that where maybe back in the day, um, I was so black and white about it and probably a little bit of annoying preachy prat actually. Um, oh, well, no, I was the same. <laughs> you know, but, but now, but now I think, look, I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. I, 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 and I really like my eating regime and it serves me really well. And my family have found out, found what serves them well. And, and, and now actually the eating thing is, that's been done. We're now, I'm now working on other stuff and playing around with other things, you know, because there's so much more to holistic health than just diet. That's definitely an yeah. important part, but it's not the be all and end all. And I think it's about looking at the other stuff and making sure that you're working on those other pillars and those other facets. Yeah. And, you know, you've, you've got great messaging around food and it, it, you're the way that you're portraying sort of um, your approach now is very, it reminds me of what Rich Roll or how Rich Roll sort of also talks about it. You know, he's like, hey, look, I'm an extreme vegan endurance athlete. If I can move just one person slightly across the spectrum to be slightly closer from the other end of the spectrum, then I have done my job. You know, there's he's he and you and a lot of people in your space who I also, you know, really um, am inspired by. It's not about perfectionism. It's about it's about being able to um, put across positive messaging, as you say, that encourage people to be curious about what they do and and find the thing that works best for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think these look. I think it's really bad when people shame others to try and create change. You can't shame people to change. Um, yeah. What you need to do is create curiosity and put out information. And I think we've got far too much division um, in the world generally, anyway. And so we we shouldn't be having division over what nutritional tribe you're in. We should yeah. all be coming together and and trying to promote um, a better way of living for our society because you know our society is sick and broken 
And we have a reflective health system of that that is sick and broken. We have a $20 billion a year health industry. 80% of it is from lifestyle disease. And we're not promoting lifestyle changes first and foremost. And so we need, we all need, any health practitioner, any therapist needs to make sure that we have that in mind when we put information across. We need to, sh- we need to shift the needle because our society desperately needs it. It's, I um, had a chat to someone last week on sedentary behaviour and I thought about that this morning as I saw the news report come out of the most recent research showing that kids who watch a lot of TV then go on to develop more metabolic syndrome um, as adults and metabolic syndrome is that cluster of blood sugar, blood pressure, waist circumference, um, a whole host of things and it's and that's just really telling of the society, really, that, that we live in. And it's, we also discussed last week um, with this professor who's, who's worked in sedentary behaviour, the physical activity guidelines, actually. And just, you know, like there, I don't know how many people are sort of have good knowledge of them. or, or And I certainly know less than half of New Zealanders actually follow them. But they're not even that... They're not extreme. Extreme's not the word. They're not. Um, they're not that hard to meet, actually. And the fact that fifty percent of us don't is not just the individual's fault. It's the the way that society's set up. Uh, look, I agree totally, and I've talked about this with a lot of people. We need to challenge people to be optimum, not recommended. Yes. You know, and, I, and it's the same with eating. Oh, maybe you know what? Five fruit and vegetables a day. Um, um, look, we need to be smashing back as much nutrient-rich food as possible. Um, and exercise, look, we should be saying to people, look, if you, we need to aim for an hour of activity daily. And that can be made up of cardiovascular exercise, a little bit of strength, maybe some flexibility. Um, but look, we need to be aiming for way more because at the moment we are so sick that you're five times 30 minutes uh, a week of walking briskly. I'm sorry. Yeah, if you're not there, great. Aim for that, but then we need to push further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Set limits high, totally. So, Brad, how did you change your, or did you change your physical activity habits at the same time? Obviously, you were already physically active, but did you start to approach activity with a different mindset? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what I, the biggest change I think I made was, I learned that micro chunks of activity were really beneficial. Like I had that mind, I had that mindset back in 2014 that unless I could get out for an hour, it was a waste. You know, it wasn't. It was a waste of time. So if I couldn't get out for an hour bike ride or an hour run or do an hour swim, well then it was not worth it. So I just wouldn't do it. So, but after 2014, 15, listening to different podcasts, different people, I realised that you know, just doing 90 seconds of push-ups so beneficial because of the the after effects basically so i started to understand that you know just having a, um, not only your maybe half an hour run but maybe doing a 15 minute micro chunk of some kettlebell work uh, five minutes of yoga and it just all added up and i started just looking at the three pillars i believe of physical your physical prowess is your cardiovascular fitness your strength, your core strength, full body strength, and then your flexibility, mobility, that control through range. And once those three things in place, that really allows you to build a really great platform for that um, physical resilience and robustness. So I started to just be maybe a little bit more holistic in my physical approach to exercise, where it would be cardiovascular stuff, strength stuff, and that stretching mobility stuff. And I'd probably try and do 
bits of it every day. Um, and, and I found that that really just improved my running performance. I was able to come back from that first knee injury and, and basically get personal best times in half marathon at the age of 42 compared to you know 25. I thought I'd never be able to beat that again. And that was just due to lots of consistent daily habits. And that really fueled me with a lot of passion to say, hey, um, at, you know, in your 40s, you know, you, you don't have to, you know, you can actually do more. You can actually be fit and be strong and, and still actually be able to run fast. And, and I want to try to carry this on into my 50s and into my 60s, you know, and, and, and I think it can be done. Yeah. And did that change how you were practicing with your patients as well? Yeah, absolutely. I just gave them more to do. So when people come and see me, you know, um, they, 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 they get a sheet basically with five facets on it in terms of postural, um, strength, flexibility, cardiovascular fitness, and then lifestyle stuff down at the bottom with, it was with eating and cold and yoga and meditation. So they get given a whole host of things to do on their first visit with me. Because I say to them, look, it's not what I do. It's not how laying hands on you for half an hour here once a week. It's actually what you do every minute, every day outside this clinic. You are the alchemist. You are the power behind the change. Um, I can give you all this information and I can do a little bit of hands-on stuff and support you. But really, it's, it's about you. And so I'm just trying to empower people to make that change. And it's just been so much more fulfilling over the last eight years as a physio because of the changes that I've seen. And, um, and it's just fun to empower people to make change. It's not then all on me. It's actually about, yes. it's a collaboration and it's actually putting some of the onus and the responsibility on the client, on the patient. And I think that's where our problem is in, in our health systems. I think people come and want to be fixed. Um, and they want to be fixed by surgeons. They want to be fixed by GPs. And you know what? I just wish the GPs had the time to say, look, I'm sorry, but you, you need to go away and I'll give you this medication for that, but you need to actually go away and start a walking practice. You need to go to bed earlier. You need to stop eating that crap and maybe swap it for this. You need, But they, don't, they just don't have time to work on the yeah. big blocks of that wellness wall, the, 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 the stuffing around with the pebbles. And this is what gets me really upset. I just feel that people are blaming our health system when, rather than maybe looking at themselves. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And is that a popular message, Brad? Oh, yeah, so popular. People love to hear that they're <laughs> the architect of their own, um, their own issues. People love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah I'm, very care- look, I'm very careful how I say, no, I know say you that yeah. um, because you're right, it can be really upsetting. Um, but it's just about you've got to empower and then help people to move towards that. And I've got a saying saying you – you can't drive a 10-ton truck of truth over a one-ton bridge of friendship. You do need to build that rapport. You do need to build that relationship. And then you can drive more information across, you know. And, and so you, and you just have to do that in a loving way. Like, I, I love you. I want the best for you. So, therefore, I want you to be the fittest and healthiest you can be so that you can feel amazing and be of service. I, you know, I don't want you to feel like this. And, and so it's coming from a place... Of, of love. Um, and I imagine that if, if I go back to your example of the man who had the skin condition, which after just some small advice from you completely cleared up, I mean, you've got that person's trust, you know, and then the people that he talks to about his experience, they'll also 
that will get attention and, and trust as well. So sometimes it's, so you're right, actually just small little nuggets can really start building building that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just really nice when people get massive change from something so simple as a cold shower or yeah. so simple as a daily walk in, in the sunlight as the sun is rising, as they get light into their eyes and they just feel like they can then sleep better at the other end of the day. Like just these little things that we know that the science is proving now, like the research is just out there. We, I think we're drowning in research now. We're drowning in information and we just have a real lack of application. So it's it's our job, and I'm saying, you know, you and me, it's our job to distill this information into easy, bite-sized chunks of application. And we have to keep we just have to keep putting it out there because if we can keep putting it out there and change one person's life, well, there's going to be a ripple effect and they're going to talk to their family and friends. And then we can create a tidal wave of change for our society and we can move people uh, in the right direction so they're fit and healthy and strong and vibrant. Um, and and I, I really, so I believe that. I believe that that's possible. Um, but there's a lot of barriers in the way. There is. And it has to come from, and that, you know the the bottom up really doesn't it because there is nothing that convinces me that in, it doesn't matter which government is in and which you know who is sort of leading um sort of policy and stuff like this has never been on the agenda of any government in any meaningful way that's made any sort of difference and so it absolutely has to be at that population level yeah you you're absolutely right you can't change the heart of 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 men and women with policy you, you, no, <laughs> no. Like it's never happened, you know. So pol policy is a three, four-year cycles. Um, it's basically to get tick boxes. Um, it, you know, what, what we're talking about is, is lifestyle change. It's in the long run. And so governmental departments, I don't, I don't think, are, are grabbing hold of this sort of stuff. And health departments, um, unfortunately, don't put this preventative medicine, this functional preventative medicine, as high priority as it should be. Because $1 invested in prevention will save you $16 down the line. The trouble is that down the line is 15 to 25 years. And, and yeah, it's too long. It's too long for people to invest in that. So it's, it's our job um, as, uh, as practitioners, as therapists, to, to make sure that we educate um, people about this long-term approach and putting these daily habits, simple daily habits starting with where you are now, and just be consistent with that and then build from there. So, Brad, where are you at on steps? How many steps should we be doing in a day? Yeah, look, I think there's, there's pluses and minuses for this kind of thinking. Um, I always say to people, look, if you're not doing 10,000 steps a day uh, and you're not doing any, any other exercise, then great, that's a great way to start. You, you get up to there. Fantastic. But you know what? That's, that's your first step, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think we should be doing 10,000 steps a day and doing an hour of exercise on top of that. Yeah. You know? yeah. So that's the first step. Um, so I, I get a lot of people saying, oh, I've done my 10,000 steps. And I say, great. Hey, good on you. What else? <laughs> what good else? on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, yeah. hey, I'm yeah. really proud of you for doing that and you've done that for a week or two now. Great. Well, let, let's, let's push on. Well, yeah, let's build on maybe it, yeah. do you want to go for um do you want to start a bit of a, some cycling some some rowing some you like swimming let's get you in a pool let's get you in the water um uh, what about your weights are you doing any weights yoga have you started your yoga journey yet hey come, we, we need to to say let's it's, yeah great but what else let's let's move on yeah. let's move on let's just not yeah. stay at ten thousand steps 
Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. I actually, I speak to a number of people who are at well below and we start by going, I'm like, okay, so 10,000 is great. 10,000 is where you want to be. You're at 3,000. Can we get you up to 4,000 in a couple of weeks? Like that's that sort of slow, yeah, yeah. No, don't worry about going from zero to hero. Yeah. Let's, let's climb it, you know, climb that staircase yeah. much more sort of moderately. But I, I appreciate your sentiment with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we have to, you know, it's important to talk to people about the body can only absorb so much load before it breaks down. So it's really important to take things slowly because our muscles will adapt quickly, but our tendons, which have lower blood supply and our ligaments and our joints need time to, to adapt to load. So it's really important to build up slow. This is a long game. This isn't an eight week boot camp. This isn't a 12 week diet. This isn't a, a cleanse. This is a, this is creating habits for a lifetime. And I talk to my girls about, you know, find a craft and graft on it. Graft on your craft. And we've got a, we've got a graft and a craft, you know. And so my girls play guitar. They're, they're really musical. And I say to them, you've got to be on that guitar every day, even if it's just five minutes, ten minutes. But graft on your craft. You want to get good, you just, just work at it. Just keep working at it. Show up. Um, my kids don't listen to me, by the way. They don't listen to me <laughs> ever. Um, but I'd like to continue to say stuff. So I feel like yes. so I feel like I'm at some, some sort of value here in my household. Oh, I understand. <laughs> and the thing is that they'll look back and they'll remember. This is what I think when I'm thinking about how I'm putting together my meals and I'm encouraging certain things, which are just completely dissed. I'm like, you're going to look back in about 10 years' time and go, oh, she was smart. You know, she did tell me about that. So this is that's what I sort of live in, in hope for. Um, so Brad, diet, physical activity, talk to me about your meditation and yoga sort of recommendations or practice yourself. Like, do you have a regular sort of practice and what difference or change have you noticed with that? Yeah, look, I I found this quite um, transformational. So when so when I first started this journey in 2014. I thought yoga and meditation were a waste of time. Like, oh, there's no way you'd get me doing yoga. No way. And meditation, what a, oh, it's just the worst thing I can imagine. But there were so many people talking about it on these podcasts. Like the podcast hosts would have these guests and they'd be bringing out this research, talking about the science. Um, then they're talking about their experiences. So it's like, oh, I better give this a go. So I downloaded the Headspace app with Andy Peter Kuhn. And I did it for a, I did it for a hundred days, and because I, I felt like you needed to do a habit for about a hundred days before you could feel whether that was going to be beneficial or not. So everything I did was always a hundred days, um, and the, look, the meditation was mind blowing. Um, I found I did five or ten minutes every day for a hundred days, and just coming out of that hundred days, I just felt so much, just more clear. I had more time, more space to react. I was more proactive, less reactive. I had a better mood. I was just a bit more calm. Like I could, I could just feel it. Um, I didn't need the science to tell me it. I could feel it. So the meditation, I would recommend that to anyone. If you are having issues with stress or anxiety or you're feeling rushed or you're feeling torn into one place and to the other, um, start some form of meditation. Um, I think it's one of the best ways to get into the present, focus on the breath. It's a simple way to move from more of a sympathetic to a parasympathetic way of being and really powerful. So I can't 
talk about that enough. So meditation, incredibly beneficial. And then the yoga, yoga is just basically breath work with some movements. And that's incredibly powerful as well. I did yoga, did a class uh, once a week, and then I did 10 minutes of yoga uh, three or four times a week for the first year. Now I just do yoga five or 10 minutes a day. And um, I find it really beneficial after a run. Um, I use it as a little bit of a primer before races. Um, I find it just, it's just part of my day. It's like brushing my teeth. Um, I brush my teeth twice a day and, and my yoga I, I do once, once a day at least. And I just feel um, it's, it's helped. It's a big part of me being able to run well in, into my late 40s. Uh, the, the yoga is a, is, a, is a major pillar of that along with the, the strength and the core and the, and the, and the structured training and, and everything else. But it's a, it's a major part of it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's super interesting. And particularly, of course, as we age, you do notice you need a lot more of that mobility stuff to even just sort of get out the door, actually. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the way that you posit that, Brad, is is not necessarily that you have to do three times 60 minute classes a week and find time for that, but just building it into your daily sort of practice. Yeah. And there's some good research to show that that's actually really, uh, really beneficial. Five or 10 minutes of yoga a, a day is sometimes even better than one 60 minute class um, a week, even though it's less time in the week. Five or 10 minutes a day, it just keeps um, something, it keeps the tissue pliable. Um, there's something called tissue creep. As we get older, our tissue becomes, uh, I suppose, less resilient. Um, it's more injury prone, it's less hydrated, it's a bit weaker, connective tissue is not quite as good. So to, to do something daily and in small amounts is very powerful, especially as we age. Yeah. And on hydration, do you give recommendations around that, given you've got such a focus on the tissue in the body and, and stuff? Like people always talk about, you know, you know, there's no real research to show that you need eight glasses of water a day. Like, so therefore you shouldn't even worry about it. Like, well, that's certainly not the case. What is, what is your recommendation? Yeah, look, my, my go-to is Dr. Andy Galpin. I really like Dr. Andy Galpin's work. Um, he's got some great stuff out there. So I tend to recommend, so my recommendation is 33 mils of water per kilogram of body weight per day in the first 10 hours of waking. So the first 10 hours after waking is when uh, your kidney is um, at its most, at its best for being able to filtrate um, and, and work. And so, um, so, uh, so that's a recommendation that I've, that I've stolen from Dr. Andy Galpin and a Dr. Andrew Huberman. So they've both come up with their recommendations and I've just combined them. So, <laughs> so that's the EverFit recommendation. Um, and, and I think a lot of people are just underhydrated, especially in winter. That it's not like people come and see me, and I, I go through some some food diaries with them, and some of them are drinking under a liter a day. Yeah. You know? And the, and and then the, they're getting injured, and they've got um, brain fog, and they're not sleeping. It's like, well, look, we've got to sort the hydration out. Like, water's actually pretty important. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know. So so yeah. So I do think hydration is a, is a big is a big part um, of of that holistic health. Yeah, I completely agree. And people are often blown away when you point out how important or the impact, the negative impact that dehydration has on them when they're coming to you and they're like super tired in the afternoon and they've got headaches. And a simple change like water and electrolytes can make such a difference. Yeah, it, can, it really can. Like I've, I've had a couple of miracle turnarounds of people coming in with all these horrific, like joint pain, headaches, lack of sleep. And I've just... Yes given them the hydration stuff, I come back a week later and go, you know what, it's a, my head, I haven't had a headache since, so I'm sleeping better. It's like, maybe it was the hydration, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, and I bet you'd notice that in their tissue as well, like a change in the tissue. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, as you, as you know, your muscles are what seventy percent water. Um, you know, if, if you're dehydrated, you know, you're just not as pliable, and you can you can. And I'm sure there's good massage therapists that would be able to to, to feel that in people that are dehydrated. So yeah, so hydration, water. You know, it's just a simple thing, isn't it? But it's a lot of something that people just don't think about. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Brad, um, to sort of close the loop, if you like, and I wonder whether this will close the loop on the holistic side of thing. I mean, obviously we've got relationships and and you know how you operate in society as you know a human. Um, sleep is there something else that you talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So sleep is one of those things that I really delved into um, in that first year. Um, so. You know, I, I recommend to my clients seven and a half to nine hours a night. But if you're an athlete, seven hours plus every hour that you train, you should sleep. So if you're training two hours a night, then nine hours probably is a minimum. But the big thing with sleep I, I talk about is consistency. And so I believe that one really one thing that really helps with people's hormonal health is their cementing and their circadian rhythm. So when you go to bed and get up at a similar time, week to week to week to week. It, your body, your system loves consistency. And when you get that, 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 that hormone regulation, that, that sort of platform, it really helps with our hormonal health. You know, you get that little spike of cortisol in the morning, you get that nice melatonin release at the, um, at the, you know, when you go into bed and then you get your growth hormone and testosterone in that first few hours of sleep. If we can get that all working really consistent, consistently, that can really help with a whole host of issues that I see. So I talk about that sleep consistency, that planning, that bo- you know, boring planning and preparation. It's, it's so boring. There's nothing sexy about it, but I tell you what, it just, it's gold. It's just gold. And so if I can and I get- think the people that do it really understand that. Like it's the pillars that they sort of base their entire week around. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's just so important. So sleep is one of those things that it's the best performing enhancing agent there is. When, when, you're well, when you sleep well and your sleep quality is good, man, you know about it. You know, you just feel on fire. And from a physical point of view and from that psychological point of view, you know, when you're feeling well rested, you can just deal with stuff so much better. You have far more space to make better decisions. And there's a real flow on effect there. So, yeah, sleep's huge. I, I, I'm a big believer in, in sorting out people's sleep patterns. Yeah. And I think a lot of sleep for people I talk to, it comes down to discipline, actually. Like it's the end of the day, the kids are in bed, they've just finished folding all the washing, making the lunches. It's nine o'clock, they're just sitting down. And actually, it's probably time they went to bed to get the sleep, but they feel like they need a little bit of time to themselves. Yeah in that moment how do you respond to clients if they sort of share that with you brad like do you posit it in a different way or like how how would you respond yeah look i say absolutely you deserve a little bit of you time but you just have to limit that you time so it's not two hours of watching netflix maybe it's just half maybe it's just watching half a show on netflix then going to bed and reading a book for 10 minutes so absolutely have the you time but just don't overdo the you time there's so many people that at 9 30 uh, scrolling through social media, mindless Netflix, and then binging another one on top, and then it's 11 o'clock. So that hour at the end of the day, if you can be a bit more disciplined, a bit more proactive about that, you can really make big gains. So I agree with you. I think people do need that you time. They need a bit of down-regulation time, maybe some time actually speaking to their partner for the first time that whole day. 
but, that, that, but 15 or 30 minutes of that quality time then, rather than an hour and a half of um, just watching the box, you know, it's just about making some choices at the end of the day that's going to serve you better. Yeah, yeah, completely. And it's not until you try something different that you actually realize that you feel so much better either. And I really loved how you posited that 100 days to build a habit and to figure out if that's working for you. Like, I think that's such, that's really good actionable advice for anyone sort of listening and going, right, 100 days, it's not actually that long, you know, like, I think yeah. that's really awesome. Yeah, three months, you know, there's a lot of research suggesting that you do need that sort of 90 to 100 days, you know, that, that 21 days, that, that doesn't develop a habit, that just creates, it creates a little bit of change, but it, no, that, that doesn't create a habit. Um, so that, that 100 days, I think it really helps cement stuff. And when you've done that, you know, you really know whether it's serving you or not, and it's going to give you uh, give you a little bit more of a platform to really put that into your life. Yeah, for sure. Um, Brad, I'm really keen to know whether or not you have a, obviously we started off by talking about your Wednesday swim habit, which um, I'm a bit sad that Anne is no longer there for her photography because I loved seeing those pictures. I found those pictures really inspiring, um, but to know that you actually do it anyway, that's good. Um any other cold water therapy stuff that you do during the week? Yeah, absolutely. So I do, I mean, I, I do cold showers every morning. So I've been having cold showers every morning for about seven years. Um, and I, every now and then I'll have a, a warm shower. That's, for instance, if I go out on a, a winter's run and I'm, and I'm chilled and I come back, then I have a lukewarm shower as a bit of a treat. Because I think cold on top of prolonged cold actually isn't good for you. It's that short, sharp shock that's very useful. Um, health and wellness wise so so yeah cold showers daily <clears throat> um, a 20 minute swim on a Wednesday the no wetsuit Wednesday and then two or three other times during the week after a run I will go to the beach do some push-ups <clears throat> and just get into the sea um, for three or four minutes up to my neck and just get cold and then come out and um, go from there and then in the summer I do I, I have done a few ice baths as well my mate's got a freezer set up in his garage so um, Amazing. I do a little bit of um, that sort of two, three degree water thing as well in the summer. But in the winter, I've got the ocean right outside. So I just use that. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, I love being in the ocean. It makes, and oh, I feel anxious at the idea of it until I'm in it. And then I feel amazing for like the rest of the day. Because yeah, exactly. that, that whole idea of being cold, you know, it's going to make you feel really good, but it's, you almost have to steal your mind towards it and not give yourself the opportunity to opt out, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right, you know, sometimes it's those short-term painful things that create that long-term gain. And you know, it's about that, you know, making sure that you're yeah, getting comfortable with uncomfortable and you're embracing that discomfort. Because when you do that from a physical and a, from a psychological level, it's just so beneficial for us. Yeah. And what about um, sauna? Brad, do you, do you have the ability to do any sauna? Not really, no, but it's definitely beneficial. Um, my wife loves saunering. Like whenever we, we um, have the chance, she, 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 she'd love to have a sauna. Um, but I'm, I'm more of a cold person. I, I don't enjoy the feeling after a sauna as much as I do with a cold. Um, so for me, you know, there's similar benefits with the, some of those shock proteins that you get with the, the extremes of temperature with heat and cold. But for me, I really like to d dive into the cold and the sauna. Yeah, I'll, I'll have one every now and then, but it's not a practice that that that, that, that I do often. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome, and I I, I know exactly what you're saying there because I love the feeling. Uh, I love the feeling at the time of both of them, but I certainly love the feeling 
post cold compared to compared to um the sauna. Um, Brad, you've got a lot of great information on your website. You share a lot on social media, and of course, you've got your book. What is the best place for people to find out more about your uh, recommendations like the things that we've talked about but also actually potentially if someone's interested in seeing you for a bit of a health overhaul slash physical therapy type um, analysis yeah I think just heading to my website so everfit.co.nz um, also on Instagram and YouTube um, everfitcoach and um, you can just connect with me there you can buy my book from the website um, so the book um, Holistic Human is basically just a distilled version of about 150 wellness books that I've read over the last sort of seven years. Um, and so it's just um, a book. It's a very small book and it has a chapter on each of the habits that we've discussed. Um, and then it has references at the end. And it's just a really nice little health guide that I think is really easily digestible. It's not, it's not no, no big words in it. You know, it's just, it's pretty simple, but it just, for me, it's um, almost like a manifesto of just trying to get this message of empowerment out there and embracing simple daily habits that light you up and make you a better human being because we need we need more better human beings in the world at the moment we really do yeah no I love that Brad and actually finally just before we close off like are you building a solar power batch is this what I'm seeing <laughs> on your like you're so passionate about environmental health and change and I love reading your content around that and I see you and your family out there um building something what's going on yeah look we we have a little bit of land um near the Rotorua Lakes um, and we've spent the last year and a half clearing just a very small 300 square meters of it um which took a lot of a lot of family time with some chainsaws to get rid of some some trees and and my, my wife um Look, she's wasted as a GP. She should have been an architect or a builder or an artist. She's incredible. And so she took two weeks off work, and her and her dad and um, a builder that she, she found, they spent two weeks constructing this little cabin. Oh, my goodness. So, she took, so she, she's got all the power. Like, my wife's incredible. Yeah. Like, I can't rave about her enough. Um, she, she's bought all the power tools. She's got everything. Yeah. She's got battery-powered drop saws. She's got skill saws. She's got the nail gun. And, and she just wanted to go and, and learn a few tricks of the trade. And so she's, yeah, her and her dad and um, uh, this other builder basically, yeah, built this little cabin. And so now we're just trying to put, as a family, just trying to put the finishing touches on. So we're just trying to actually do the painting. The, the windows have just gone in, um, so it's closed in, and then we'll, we'll fit it out inside. And then we've got... So we've got a caravan and a little cabin on our bit of land. And um, yeah, I'm really excited. We've got some kayaks and, oh, and we just go there. And, and uh, yeah, Coral and I are, are pretty excited. The girls, you know, the girls are at an age now, 13 and 15, where it's not as exciting as it was when they were eight and nine. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but they still really like it. Like getting away into the forest um, off the screens and just just being amongst the trees and having that lake there. It's just soul enhancing. It's, it's yeah. something that I crave and, and I want to move and, and I want to live in that way. Yeah. And so that's kind of Coral and I's retirement plan. I think we'll, we'll definitely be living out there at some stage and, and hopefully using it as a bit of a, a holiday pad in the meantime. Oh, amazing. And I just love that for your girls to be living this with you because you're doing everything, your role modeling behavior that they'll be able to, that that is 
part of their DNA, basically. So despite the fact that they are still just teenagers now, like it's the same thing that we were talking about before. Like they'll look back and they'll there'll be so many things that they've learned that it'll take on into their adulthood and then, you know, affect change later. And I just think it's awesome. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Yeah, hopefully that's right. We'll see. We'll see. Remains <laughs> we'll see, yeah. <laughs> hey, Brad, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it this afternoon. And I'd actually love to have you back on and actually talk physio. Like, I think that there'd be loads of things that we can talk about physio-wise at some point. Um, so um, we will put links to your website, your Instagram, and your book on um, uh, in the show notes because you're a coach as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I coach um, athletes, um, triathletes and, and ultra runners and marathon runners. And, Amazing. Yeah, and, well, and wellness warriors, so yeah. Yeah, you, you cover the whole gamut, that's brilliant. All right, Brian, have a great rest of your afternoon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Alrighty team, hopefully you really enjoyed that conversation. So great to chat to Brad and it's so funny because people often pit us against each other because we're both wellness advocates but as you know I'm an advocate of eating meat and Brad is not. But you know we've got so much more in common than what we do differ on and the more you have people in this space talking around similar themes, just the more of an impact you can have. You can create sort of fires if you openly spat online about certain things, but ultimately when you're singing from the same song sheet of just actually wanting to help people, you'll notice that in loads of areas, people are much more aligned than not. Okay team, next week on the podcast, I speak to Nicole Laurent about mental health in the brain and a ketogenic diet brilliant conversation you're not going to want to miss that until then though you can catch me over on instagram threads and twitter at mickey willardin facebook at mickey willardin nutrition head to my website mickeywillardin.com you can book a one-on-one call with me or sign up to one of my meal plans like mondays matter all right team you have a great day see you soon